Good morning, church. What a delight it is to be with you and to share in today's service. And thank you so much for the warm welcome this morning. I'm not sure what question you might ask if you had an opportunity to get a very personal answer back from God. But the Bible records for us humanity's first question that it asked God. What do you think that question was? What was humanity's first question to God? It's really interesting when you actually unpack that a little bit. It's there for us in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. Of course, humanity had been dialoguing with God a little bit before then. But in Genesis chapter 4, humanity's first question is asked of God. And it's in the story of Cain and Abel. And it's a tragic question. It's a tragic question and and you'll find it there. It's like right there in verse 9. And the Lord asks Cain a question and he asks the question, where is Abel your brother? And of course, Cain said in reply, a lie, I don't know. Maybe he was, you know. And then comes the question. And you kind of wonder how it was asked. Was it asked like, you know, like whatever, am I really my brother's keeper? Or was it asked like, well, am I my brother's keeper? Or am I my brother's keeper? Like, should I know where he is? Really interesting that that should be humanity's first question of God. Seems to me that ever since that question was asked, we've been doing our darndest to actually avoid the answer to that question. Wherever we can, we kind of avoid the the responsibility that would go with caring for others. And we see the tragic consequence of that played out on a global scale. I mean, quite a number of years ago, I sponsored a student um, with the help of Papua Nui Church and and many others to go through his his studies as to be a pastor in um, the Baritone University in, in East Africa. And there, Philip completed his studies. He was the sole survivor of his family in the Rwandan tragedy that had taken place many years earlier. And and now he's working as a successful pastor. But this week he sent news to me saying, Neil, can you pray again? Because Rwanda is breaking out into civil war again. I mean, brother fighting against brother. When will it ever end? And Cain's question is, am I my brother's keeper? As a church, we know the answer to that, don't we? All right, there's a couple of you who do, the rest of you, I'm not sure. So let's just do a poll on that. Do you know the answer to that question? Am I my brother's keeper? Oh yeah, we are our brother's keeper. I mean, Jesus definitively answered that question, didn't he? When the Jews of of that age were trying to avoid the answer to that question by saying, well, who's my neighbor? It's like, well, who should I be brother to, in other words? Do I have to be brother to those? And Jesus is like, well, you should be a neighbor or a brother to anyone, what, who's in need. Isn't that right? That was Jesus' answer. 
So as a church, we understand that. And I think I'm in the presence of the choir, really, the church choir, who understands that beautifully. In fact, can I see a show of hands of all of those who are pastors or retired pastors? Let's just see a show of hands. All of those who are pastors, retired pastors, let's just keep those hands up. And now let's add to that teachers or retired teachers. Let's see a show of hands of those. Okay, there's a number of you all around and in the band as well. Yeah, they're they're right there. And we could add to that SHF workers, Ivan. In fact, I was looking at my baptism certificate last night and you signed it. I don't know whether you remember that. You're a church clerk of Hillview Church back there in 1979. How many of you have actually served as missionaries somewhere? Let's see a show of hands of those who have served as missionaries. Does it count if I say that I've served in New Zealand? Is that like missionary enough? You you, you agree it is? Okay, well, I think maybe. But generally, we would think of missionaries as people who go where? To far-flung places of the globe to Africa, Papua New Guinea, the the Solomons, all of those sorts of places. That's where we'd think of missionaries. I'm uh, I'm a little disturbed because, you know, my sermon title, what's my sermon title? Am I provocative enough? I'm not sure the answer to that is a yes yet, but we'll see by the end of today's sermon. And the one out in the street, I don't know if the one out in the street is the same as the one we've got on the screen because I couldn't remember what I, what I wanted to go up on the street. But am I provocative enough in Newcastle? My, jo- my job, by the way, is to take care of pastors. That's kind of what I do. And in that job of taking care of pastors, the, I, I get to, to speak into their life. I get to, to, um, to minister them in their time of need and do all sorts of things. It's a wonderful job, ministerial secretary for the conference. And I wrote to them, not this week, but the week before, about NADOC week. Now, who knows what NADOC week is? Okay, there's a few of you. I wished all of you knew what NADOC week was. So we had missionaries who went out into, into, in the last 120 years, easily the last 120 years, Australia has been sending out missionaries all over the place, haven't we? Since Avenue College, the first graduates from college, we, we sent missionaries out to the far-flung places of the earth, and rightly so. We would send them to Papua New Guinea. How many of the tribes of Papua New Guinea have we reached? Would you say all? I think it is. If it's not all, it's got to be very close to all the tribes in Papua New Guinea. What about the Solomons? Did we, we, did we conquer the Solomons? Did we take the message to the Solomons? Yes, we have. Have we taken it to Fiji, Kiribati, um, and Vanuatu, and all throughout the Pacific? You could actually say in the last hundred years, we've taken the gospel message to the entire Pacific. We've done a really good job of that. In that same hundred years, and this is where I've been provoking our ministers a little bit, and I need to be a little careful that I don't offend someone this morning in what I say, but I, I, I do want to say it because it, it strikes me as something that, that really the Lord's laid on my heart as a, as a little bit of a burden. In Newcastle at the moment, we have a Polish church 
and on Sabbath morning, this morning, gathered to worship there. There'll be between somewhere between about 15 to 30 people gathered, depending on the day. And they're trying to reach out to 1,700 Polish people in Newcastle. And they're finding it a tough job because a lot of those people don't want to do, have anything to do with religion. We've also got in West Walls End a largely Korean congregation... And that Korean congregation is made up of about 30, 40 Koreans or 50 Koreans and they're trying to reach out to a further 500 Koreans in the Newcastle area. You following where I'm going? We've also got a Pacific Island church. We call it the Multicultural Church in Newcastle. And there's probably around 1,000 multicultural people from the Pacific Islands living in the Newcastle area. We've got a Spanish church, which has about 40 people attending a Spanish church. They're doing tremendous work. And there's about 400 Spanish-speaking people living in Newcastle. Now, why am I boring you with these statistics? Because in the last 100 years, we've kind of ignored a people group in Newcastle, Lake Macquarie and Central Coast. You know the people group? Come on, I can see you smiling, you know. Who's the people group? In Newcastle, there's five and a half thousand of them living there in Newcastle. The first inhabitants of this great land of ours. Aboriginal people, five and a half thousand living in Newcastle, another five, six thousand living in Lake Macquarie, and another six thousand living on the central coast. And then together with the Hunter Valley, there's collectively around 30,000 of them living there. And they represent three different tribes. The tribe that would be centered around where we are is where we get the name Awaba from, the Awabakal people. In our conference to date, we have a presence, an active presence, in only two of the 23 tribes in our conference. And that's in a hundred years. God bless John Lang who, who led us to establish Karawal. Not without difficulty is that place operating and running and, and Karawal is doing a tremendous job in, in reaching out to the Aboriginal people and yet we've got so much left to do. And as I look around our nation and I've asked my colleagues in other conferences what their work is and how many Aboriginal pastors they have working in their, play, their conferences, I realise that North New South Wales Conference is doing probably the best of any conference in working with Aboriginal people. And I'm embarrassed by that. Because I think, what, why haven't we reached them? Why haven't we actually targeted and planted more churches? Now in Newcastle, we've got a new church plant underway and I'm so excited about that. And we've got a missionary-minded pastor leading out in that church, Pastor Talai Moore. And he, we're planning a church in Windale to reach Aboriginal people. And I'm excited about that. I got a text message on Thursday night from our evangelism director. I love it. He sent a text and said, I'm shopping in Charlestown Mall tonight with my family and I thought of you several times tonight and it bugged me. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And he says, yeah, because as I was walking around the mall, I noticed how many 
Aboriginal people there really are in the mall and the Lord is bringing to my attention that we've got to do far more to reach out to them. You know, when Ellen White was here in Kurenbong and preaching from this very pulpit more than a hundred years ago, she spoke often about the need to actually to run tent meetings and to do all that we can to reach out to others, didn't she? In fact, she went out to Martinsville. I just read this last night. It's just really fascinating. She went out to Martinsville and there in Martinsville in the open air, she's in a grassy paddock, it says, that, that she spoke to 60 souls. Planks had been arranged in a half circle for seats. Some were seated on rugs in the grass and others were in carriages just outside the fence. She also spoke to 90 people at Dora Creek. We've got a church in Dora Creek. We don't have one in Martinsville. I guess the times have changed since then because Kurenbong back then would have 12 pubs as well. There's a lot of timber merchants here in town and Martinsville was a thriving community. Not quite so anymore. But a point was simply this, that wherever there's people, wherever there's a congregation of people, a community of people, wherever there's a tribe of people or a language of people, And we understand this. It's the Great Commission that we've got to go. Am I provocative enough? No, I'm just warming up. So let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll start there in verse 19. And this is what it says in verse 19. Therefore, brethren and sisters, having boldness to enter, to enter where? The holiest place by the blood of Jesus. We've got this confidence that we can go into the most holy place because of what Jesus has. In other words, we don't get to hang in the outer court somewhere, but we get to go right into the very presence of God and to be with him. The question is, for what purpose? Because we've got this new and living way that Jesus has provided for us. He consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So he's actually taken us into the very presence of the Father and now in that place, having a high priest over the house of God, verse 21. Now verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, the power of Christ is transforming our characters and our lives and and covering our sins and purifying us from unrighteousness. And now in that state, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. it, It can happen over time that we lose heart, can't it? We'd hoped that the Lord would have come before this. And here we are. Many of us have preached messages in our youth that the Lord is coming and coming very soon and yet here we are so many years later and, and now the writer of Hebrews is saying so that we've got to hold on, we've got to be faithful. And now comes my verse which is where where the title of today's sermon comes from. And let us consider one another. 
The word for consider and, and that little phrase, let us consider one another, is actually saying, let's look at each other and, and make sure that, that, that as we look at each other, that we can consider one another's spiritual position that we can consider one another to make sure that you're not falling from the faith, that, that you're doing okay and that you're surviving and living a great Christian life. So let's consider one another in that sense. But he goes on. The writer of Hebrews goes on and says, let's consider one another in order to what? Well, what's your Bible say there? In order to what? In order to... Well, depends on your translation. To stir up, the New King James says, to stir up love and good works. And the word for love is agape love. Selfless love. To stir up selfless love of others. And alos, the the good works that would go with that. But the word stir up doesn't convey enough of the energy of what what really the Greek word is actually saying. Because it's the same Greek word that is used when Barnabas and Paul had strife and conflict with each other. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, it's a really strong word that's being used there. A better word would be provoke. Now, when I was talking to my family last night around the dinner table, and, you know, we were talking because my daughter's just moved into the marriage student units down here. She's just recently got married. Very special day. And she's been noticing all week my sermon title on the notice board out front. And so we're chatting around that, and I said, well, let me provoke you. And so I said the following, I said, well, honey, and, and I pretended we're at church, and I said to her, okay, honey, we'll see across the, 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 the foyer of church here this morning that you can see that, that couple there. I want you to go over to them in the next five seconds and invite them over to our place for lunch so that we can share with them and break bread and, and just get to know them. And if you don't, in the next five seconds, do that. You know that embarrassing photo of you and... Um, I'm going to post that on the internet. And she said, Dad, that's not provocation. That's blackmail. And I went, yeah, you're right. And then she said to me rather cheekily, she said, and I don't negotiate with terrorists. So I just loved her for that. It's just like, yeah, there's my daughter. I taught her all she knows. And she's learned far more than I could ever teach her, by the way. But I loved the fact that, that there, this word provocative Provocative so much stronger than just having a good idea. It's like, what are we doing to stir each other up to do good works? You know, this church has a great reputation in the community for serving in the community through the community services centre, doesn't it? It does. And yet one of the things that I've learned is this. Recently I had the privilege of going with a couple of colleagues to, to America to, to do some training. And so we've done training in, in, in a, a program which is really looking at how to help churches become more missional in their impact in community. 
to provoke one another, if you like, to acts of love and service in community. In fact, oh, let me read this to you. This is out of this, this, this morning's Sabbath school lesson. And this is Ellen White from the Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 137. She says this, Search heaven and earth, and there's no truth revealed more powerful than that which is made manifest in works of mercy to those who need our sympathy and aid. This is the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. When those who profess the name of Christ shall practice the principles of the golden rule, the same power will attend the gospel as in apostolic times. I love it. It's like, wow, how powerful is that? What she's saying is, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The thing about that rule is that that rule is is actually proactive. It's not, don't do to others what they're you know, what you don't want them to do. It's, it's actually not do. The, the doing of that is a very active thing. And the very next verse from verse 24 goes on to say this. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the manner of doing, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we should be stirring one another to acts of love. We should be coming together to church to worship and to, to, to adore our, our magnificent Savior and all the more so because the nearness of Christ's return is, is approaching. And I know that some of us think that we've reached the age of retirement and I, and I must say that I'm looking forward to retirement. But we can get to the age of retirement and think, okay, my journey's over, I'm done. I've fought the good fight. No, it's not over, I'm not done, and I'm not finished yet. Can you say amen to that? There's more work to be done. There's things that I can do and that only I can do, and I should do those things. It is right. And yet so often I hear of stories of of people who, just when they get to retirement, now seek a life of pleasure, it seems. And there's nothing wrong with pleasure. It's doing things in balance. But some can do that and do that at the expense of any further mission work. And it's like, so was that just a job you did or is that a way of life you did, but when you get there you no longer need to do that? What, what's that about? I don't understand. When I get to my retirement, I'll just won't be being paid to do stuff anymore. But I want to—I got so many ideas in my head of what I want to do. I can't wait to get to retirement, so I can start doing different kinds of things in service to God. So there we are—we're in America, and we're learning about missional impact and what that looks like. And I learn four new words. And the words are these, that whatever we do that's community impact needs to be done in a way which is repeated. We need to repeat it again and again and again. But then I learned that repeating it is not enough, that, that when we repeat something, we actually need to not only repeat it, but we need to do it continuously so that our mission outreach becomes 24-7. Now, Jesus gave a beautiful example of that. He repeated 
his healing miracles. He repeated his acts of love and service to humanity. And he just continuously operated that way all his life, didn't he? He really did. And then the third word I learned was generous. That Jesus was incredibly generous. And then the final thing that I learned, the final word, was we've got to go deep. We really have to go deep. And I didn't understand what that is until I unpacked it a little more. But going deep actually means this. And I'll I'll tell you a story because I have a dream that our church will become a church which really lives and follows and understands Jesus' method and Jesus' method alone. It's something that we often like to quote to ourselves and not really understand what that method was. But what Jesus did was he went repeated, continuous, generous, and very deep in his mission and his ministry to others. And it looks like this. In our community, we have a lot of broken homes, don't we? And those broken homes actually end up with nasty divorces. And the end result of those nasty divorces is kids growing up usually with a solo mother who's doing it tough in community. And in our church or outside of the church, it doesn't seem to matter that much that that there's an awful lot of them in community. So here's a dream that I have just to illustrate those four words that we as a church would actually start a ministry to solo mums that might look something like this. It might look like that we service the car for four times a year. Okay, we're repeating it four times a year and we do that continuously year after year after year. And we service the cars for free because that's generous. And we approach the businesses in the community so we can find a mechanic shop that's willing to do it. We find auto spare parts um, Uh, businesses who are willing to donate oil and spare parts and so on. We find mechanics who are willing to come in our church and outside of our church who are willing to come and service the cars. And we sign up the church to come and detail the cars on on a Sunday so that they go out and they're not only mechanically sound, but they're now looking clean and they're vacuumed and car detailed on the inside. And then we give a couple of squirts of that new car smell so it, so when the ladies pick it up, it actually smells really good. Now that sounds kind of nice, but that's only the surface of what is possible. Now what would it look like if we took that deep? We start to recognize that those solo mums are often doing it hard and doing life in a tough way, so we, we, we supply food to them to help them out. We recognize that many of them are working and as they work, they often will finish after school is finished and so the kids come home from school and they're called latchkey kids because they're coming home and there's no one to supervise. So what going deep would mean is that we would then start a, a, a ministry that would take care of the kids after school until the parents are available to come and pick them up. But what going deep would also mean is that many of those kids are growing up without male mentors in their life. And so going deep would actually mean that we would start to form a mentoring program with safe and approved men from the church who we could then line up as mentors for these young people and take them on adventure camps and speak into their life and lead them to Christ as they disciple and do those kinds of things. And going deep would also mean that who is often caring for the kids is the grandparents And how many grandparents here are caring for kids, there's an awful lot, would be my guess. 
and, and so often they will actually start to feel stressed and burn out as well. And so part of that would be speaking of the grandparents' life so that they start to feel cared for and nurtured. And this ministry, which just started out as servicing cars four times a year, has suddenly mushroomed into a significant impacting ministry that's, that's touching the lives of not only solo mums, but their kids, their grandparents. And then you realize that each one of those ladies is really looking for someone. And so that could start a whole different ministry of matchmaking. Just saying, you know, it's possible. Singles ministry or something. But do you get what I'm saying? What would it look like if we took the ministries that we do and that we do so well, but if we repeated, if we cut down the number of those, And we just focused on doing one thing and taking that as deep as we can and do it as continuously as we can. I think this is what we'd end up with. We'd end up with a church that has a reputation in the community that is significant, that is huge and that gets known as being the people who care in that way for the cause of Christ. My dream is that we will have Adventist churches who do ministries like that. I'm not saying it needs to be solo mums. It's just that we need to provoke one another on, Scripture says, to acts of love, selfless love. You know, it's so easy for us as a church to give away our stuff. We can give away our stuff. And what do I mean by that? Well, if we run a chip program, we can give away our knowledge, we can give away our education, we can give away our food, but there's, and it's low risk and it's relatively low cost. But I want to contrast that with down the other end here. The contrast would be this, where I'm not just giving away our stuff, but now I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm actually giving away my life. It's costing me something. It's a sacrifice. I am aware of a conversation that that someone has in running our food pantry. And the conversation went like this. Oh, look, you're making friends with the people who come to the food pantry. Why are you doing that? You might bump into them down the street and, and have awkward moments where you meet them. That's just giving away your stuff. What's it like, though, if we give away ourselves? where I don't see them as awkward people. I see them instead as someone who Jesus died for. I see them as a brother and sister. Isn't that right, Lynn? I can just see them like that. I can just see them as a person who's in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and only for the grace of Christ, maybe that's where I would have been too. Except I got lucky. I was born where I was and I had the life that I had. And the scripture says that we should provoke one another to works of service all the more so. All the more so as we see the day approaching. Church, am I provocative enough today? I don't think so. I think this has been a little bit of a tame provocation. I could ramp that up a little more, couldn't I? But I instead just want to thank you as a church. You're an absolute powerhouse in our conference. You really are. 
and your generosity, your giving and your commitment to the cause of Christ is absolutely amazing. And all I want to do today is encourage you not to grow weary in doing good, but all the more as you see the approach of Christ come, as you sense the nearness of Christ coming, that you rise up and you look for ways in which you can provoke one another for even more acts of love in the community. Can you say amen to that? Can you make a commitment that, that whatever you do, you want to do that? I've got one final story and then, then I can wrap up. My final story is this. is when I was youth director in Victoria Conference, I remember going to a union session and at this union session, Barbara, who was the secretary treasurer of the union, the Trans-Australian Union it was back then, stood up and she shared a story how she'd been in this place at a, at a hearing a report and it was a hospital administrator stood up and at this, and as he gave his report, he said, look, this year's been a tough year for us financially. This year we've only been able to plant 12 churches. In a normal year, we would have planted somewhere between 22 to 24 churches, but it's been a tough year financially, and we're really sorry, but this year we only planted 12 churches. And I felt so rebuked. Barbara didn't realize it, but she was provoking me She was provoking me to acts of love and service. So I went back to our youth team in Victoria. And there as I spoke with our youth team, I actually said to them, look, it's not enough for me to be a youth director and lead the conference in youth ministry. We've got to do much more than that. We've actually got to take the young people of our church and we've actually got to use them to reach out and serve humanity. We've got to reach them to, to reach out and to, to, to partner with the cause of Christ and to, and to do what they can to, to partner with him and, and to share the love of Jesus. So we started a, a ministry in Victoria we called Recon. It was a, we, we went to Adra, we got money from Adra, we bought ourselves a vehicle, we staffed it with, with various youth groups on a roster of six weeks. And they were working on the streets of Springvale, which is a drug hotspot in Victoria. And they were out there every Friday night. And then they, we started a referral centre, a community centre, where they could refer those people they were meeting to the, the community centre. And we had an idea that we were going to take that as a continuous, repeated ministry that was generous and that went deep. And our ultimate dream was to set up a drug rehab clinic that would disciple people into Christ. Unfortunately, I got moved and we, we didn't actually complete that part of the vision. But what, what, what it was about was the disturbance that God said, it's not enough just to do the things that we do. It's not enough just to be a church in the community. We actually have to be the hands and feet of Jesus in community. And we've got to provoke one another to do more of that in community. And all the more so since we see the day approaching. Church, I just want to encourage you to do, to do what you do and to do more. To take what you do and take it deep as you can. As you deliver furniture to people's houses, as, you, as they come and get clothes and, and food parcels from you, ask yourself, what else do they need? What else can we do to serve these people? 
What else do they need? Why do they keep coming back to us? What's their socioeconomic condition? What's the problems that keep them awake at night? And how can we take the love of Jesus into that? And how can we partner with them to disciple them to Christ? And all the more so since that day is approaching. Am I provocative enough? I think Jesus is even more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the writer of Hebrews who just speaks to our heart and, and, and encourages us. That the fact that every blessing is there, that Jesus has paved the way for us. And our response to that, our gospel response, is to want to share that love through good works in our community. And all the more so because we see your nearness as soon, Lord. So, Father, I pray your blessing on Memorial Church. I pray, Lord, that, that you would bless Memorial Church even more with its impact in community. That you would bless Abel and Steve and Susan as they're, they're the pastoral team as they lead in this church. And all of the elders and leaders together in this church as they together work to impact Kurunbong for the cause of Christ. And who knows, Lord, in the future weeks and months and years that we may even see Aboriginal church planted in this community. Oh, Father, may your will be done because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.